You're listening to the Wellness Warrior Podcast. This podcast is for those of you who want to improve your mindset, radically transform your health, and get back more time to pursue what matters most to you. So listen up, this podcast is pretty new, it's just getting started, but here's what I've got on the plate for the coming months. I want to interview some of the most successful individuals, professionals, doctors, and even just normal everyday people who are sharing the message of hope, health, and wholeness. They're going to be integrating their own holistic health principles in their own life, which means we're going to be talking about organic food, essential oil, sustainability, regenerative farming, clean food, plant medicines, all of this great stuff. And on top of that, I'm going to be sharing health tips, personal growth tips, workout tips, motivation, inspiration, and how to do all this in college nonetheless. So you're going to walk away with actionable steps that are going to help you solve your problems. So if any of this sounds interesting to you, you're going to want to listen to this podcast right now. Let's get started with today's episode. In today's program, I am super excited to introduce our guest, Armando Cruz. Armando is a lifestyle physical therapist and legacy coach that helps growth-minded individuals live happier, more connected, and more fulfilled lives. In today's conversation, we talk about breaking free from being average, creating a legacy, eliminating pain, and the three big things stopping adults and college students from powerfully showing up in their purpose. While you're listening, if anything sticks out to you or sparks your curiosity, take a screenshot and share what you learned on social media. Let's get the word out there. Without further ado, Armando Cruz. So Armando, before we get into your story and the really cool work that you do, um, I just want to get a sense of what you think it means to be healthy. Like, so what is your definition of optimal health? Uh, great question. Um, so I, I define optimal health is having the energy, the movement, and the freedom to access your potential and to live the best life that you can. Gotcha. That's uh, a really good answer because it's more than just nutrition and exercise, right? I mean, it's doing like all the right things in your life. And that was a perfect answer that you just said. Um, like to one person, it could also be um, like meditating and clean diet or yoga every day. Um, and I think even living your life purpose is probably a huge part of living with optimal health because if you're stuck in a situation that you don't really enjoy, that's pretty draining on you. Um, so speaking of lives that people enjoy, you yourself seem to be kind of exemplifying a life well lived and you're actually helping others do the same. So can you tell everyone exactly what it is that you do and what kind of led you down this path? Sure. Um, let's see, how can I best describe what I do? Let me give you an example. That'd probably be the best thing. So I've had the privilege of working from, you know, housewives to high-end executives and here's an example of of one of the things that that I feel like really exemplifies some of the work that we did that that I that I that I do um and that is so I have I have this client who's an attorney and when she came to me originally she couldn't move without her back like literally flaring up this was years years uh that she had basically been trapped in her body and everyone that she went to works on hey your back hurts let me rub your back your back hurts let me strengthen your back 
your back hurts, let me, uh, I don't know, poke your back a little bit with some needles or whatever. None of those things are wrong. None of them are bad. But none of them were addressing the actual issue. We had to take a step back and really assess what was going on. And I think one of the, the, the biggest issues that most people have is they get blinded by what's in front of them and don't realize where the cause is coming from. It's kind of like if, if there's a river and right where you are, the river is overflowing. Mm-hmm. Everyone is looking at where it's overflowing. And yes, there's an immediate shift, right? Because you don't want your things to get. But if you don't go up to the source and redirect some of the, some of the flow, if you don't go up to the source and really address, hey, what's going on that we're getting so much more uh, flow right now, then you're going to keep being reactive instead of responsive. Right. And when you're reactive, you can't really um, put your best foot forward because you don't know what's going to happen. So all that, all that to share that what I essentially do is I help give more clarity around where the actual cause of things are and then help you create a system and a path a journey that you want to take to help you not only surpass it but grow from there if that makes any sense yeah for sure um so were there like any defining moments that kind of got you here like how did you end up doing this yeah great question um i was the kid in high school that um, played every sport. I I was a, I was a hard worker. I I, I did well. Um, school wasn't easy for me, but it wasn't like I was like I wasn't failing or anything like that. I was actually doing well in school, but I was in all the classes where all the smart people was. So I always felt like not the smart one, right? But I, you know, I worked hard at it. Everyone in my class was always, oh, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be an attorney. I'm going to be this, like all these clear paths. And I was like, man, the thing I really like is the human body, is sports. I love the physicality. I love all of that. And then I realized that you could study that in college. And I went down that path. And, you know, in college, I ran track and cross country. And again, I was very athletic, but I wasn't the best again. And so I had to find ways of optimizing my performance so that I could keep up with the guys because I wasn't the best guy. And in that journey of self-discovery, how can I become better so that I can keep up? I started realizing, okay, wait, performance and the training methodology that I have to use is really important. But then I realized, wait, so is my nutrition right? Because if you don't have the right fuel, you're not going to get there. And then as I dove deeper, I realized, wait, um, if you're pushing your body, even if you are eating well, you're bound to get injured. Or even better, how do I prevent getting injured? So I started going down there. I got my undergrad in exercise science and athletic training. And then I went to physical therapy school. And I dove deeper into there. But after years of working with people, I realized, hey, there's something missing, and that's the brain. You know, if you don't understand what's going on in here, in your brain, 
none of this matters because you won't execute consistently. Not once. Everybody can do anything once or twice. It's just like why everyone gets excited and that excitement gets, you know, on a, on a, on a good on a good day or a good uh, on a good path, most likely it'll last a month. Like in general, a month if you don't have anything catastrophic happening. But if you decide to make a shift, a big shift in your life and your environment, stuff starts getting chaotic, life gets in the way, you're lucky if you last two weeks with this new transformation you have it. And so I started realizing, okay, wait, I need to understand the brain more in order to understand the mind more in order to understand habit and transformation more. And so that kept going. And I've been at this, you know, my, my wife and I have a fitness and physical therapy studio in Miami, Florida, uh, for the past 14 years. So it's been evolving ever since. And now we've actually developed our own unique system that not only addresses the, you know, we address what we call the seven healths. And um, in that, there's an emotional component, there's a spiritual component, there's a physical component, there's a relational component, there's a financial component, right? Um, there's an adventure component. And so like, we really try to capture everything because, you know, I, at the beginning, you mentioned something about health that some people say, oh, you know, it's doing yoga and doing this. And those are tools. Right. That's like saying, you know, uh, what do you like about carpentry? And you say, I like hammers. Well, okay, wait, hammer is a tool you use to create the carpentry they do. And you can love it. It's a great tool, but it's not the thing. It's a tool. Right. So oftentimes people also get um, zealous or zealous, like a zealot about a tool instead of the actual thing that you're actually trying to create. And they miss, as they say, the forest for the trees. Um, do you talk about this in your book, The Legacy Code, or are those kind of two separate things? Great. A great question. So the the Legacy Code does not specifically talk so much about the health stuff, okay. but it's a component of it because we're talking a lot about the self-actualization. And the self-actualization, if you look at, uh, are you familiar with Maslow's uh, yep. Uh, yep. hierarchy? Right. So it's at the top. And the reason that most people don't get there is because they don't address the other needs first. You can't access that. And it has to do with your brain and it has to do with our, the evolution of the brain and how it's developed. And the fact that we have what they call this triune brain, where you have a reptilian brain, which is responsible for keeping you alive, you know, food, shelter, you know, reproducing, making sure that you have everything that you need immediately that you're not going to kill yourself or something's not going to kill you. Right. Then you have what you call your mammalian brain, which is essentially designed to help you um, navigate tribe. Right. As mammals, we aren't designed to be by ourselves. We need a group of people. Unlike a, like a reptile is like the baby's born and it's like, OK, bye. Like if once we're born, if we did that, the baby would die. Mm -hmm. We are very dependent on others. And as we grow, a tribe or a group is actually very very important for our development. And so if you're there and a person gives you like a weird looking stare, you're like, oh, what's going on? Does that person not like me? Uh, is that person want to fight me? Uh, does that person, you know, and I'm being a little bit more exaggerated, but like these are the things that our brain is doing 
unconsciously and assessing those. And until you can get out of both the reptilian and the mammalian, the animal brains, we can't access our human brains, which is our prefrontal cortex. This is where we do the thinking. This is where we do um, the self-actualization, meaning looking forward into the future and seeing what our life could be. But you can't access that when you're kind of in the struggle in the same way. Does that, does that make sense? So the legacy code isn't about the health per se, but it's a big component of if you don't address some of this higher level stuff, the health stuff ends up being symptomatic. Right. For sure. Um, so in this book, the legacy code, I kind of want to talk a little more about that. Um, can you, um, expand on what it means to be purposeful and powerful in creating your own legacy? I think one thing that's very important for people to understand is that you're going to have a legacy no matter what. Like your legacy is 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 a direct reflection of how you lived your life, right? So the one of the the the, the statements that I share with people is like the life that you leave the, the life that you live is the legacy you leave you leave behind, right? So the life that you live is the legacy you leave. Now that can be intentional or that can be just you go with the flow. Most people go with the flow. And I say most people because that's what, that's what average is. Right. Most people that fall into the average. That's why it's the most. There's nothing that, you know, this is not a judgment call. This is just a statistics. Most people, which is the average, don't operate in an intentional way. Because they're trying to get through day to day. They're, they, they don't even know what the heck is going to happen, you know, in an hour from now. Partly because they haven't been able to set up something so purposeful. They haven't been intentional about the way they create their life. They let life happen to them. And again, not a judgment call. This is a statistical thing that's actually happening. So now the question is, is do you want to be part of the general norm? Okay. Or do you want to be exceptional? And it's a choice you must make so that you can start taking the actions to break away from the mean in order to be in that front percent. Okay. I'm not going to judge you if you don't decide to. This is just, again, a decision that you must make. And, you know, the, the word decision is an interesting, the etymology of that, that decision means to cut away. To decide means to cut away other options. So you are essentially making a decision. No, I want to live a purposeful life. So you're essentially cutting away being just going by the flow, by the seat of your pants. You're, you're going to be intentional about it. So uh, uh, purposeful means to be intentional about what it is that you're creating. And the powerful is, okay, how do you create an impact? If you're dropping a stone in in, uh, in a body of water, you can drop a pebble, you'll still have a ripple effect, but initially you'll have a very little splash. If you drop a boulder in there, you'll also get a bigger splash. You'll also get ripples, but there's going to be more force with those ripples, right? Mm -hmm. Because we will each impact the world, no matter how. Everything that we do will impact. It's that butterfly effect. I've never heard it, you know, like if in South America, a butterfly flaps its wings. The, the air that it displaces affects and causes a typhoon across, across the world, right? Um, whether that's true or not, the point is, is that 
look, every action that you take will have an impact and have a ripple, a ripple effect on the world at large. Some of them will be felt more prominently, some of them not. And the, and the, the theory behind being purposeful and powerful is having a direction and an impact that you want to create so that you can now move towards that. So you can drop the boulder and create that force and that impact. Gotcha. Okay. That was a great answer. So a lot of my audience is mostly college students. So I'm wondering okay. how soon do you think is too soon to start creating your legacy? Or it probably isn't too soon, I would imagine. Um, but what would you tell a college student who is unsure of the legacy that they want to leave behind? Um, or maybe they're just like stuck in the motions and they're kind of trying to make, break free. Right. This happens. Uh, don't think that uh, if you're a college student that this is only for you. Uh, unfortunately, there are lots of college students that we're going to use adults, right? Because you're mm -hmm. obviously adults as, as a college student. But I'm saying like when you're in the real world, because college, by the way, college is a bubble. And it's a beautiful bubble. Enjoy it. Um, I'm blown away by guys like you that are, are, are doing these things. I would have never thought to do those things. I was focused on my studies, but this that you're doing never, I mean, well, let's face it, this didn't exist when I was in college. <laughs> but if it did, I don't know if I would have done it, right? Um, so the fact that you're doing it goes to show that you're thinking already a lot, a lot more ahead, which is great. But people listening to, to this, they may feel like, okay, well, yeah, Jacob's got it all figured out, uh, but I don't. I don't know what the heck I'm going to do tomorrow. So there's a frustration in that things are moving too slow. And that's one of the things that, you know, when you understand brain-wise, uh, we go into this threat by things moving too slow, like the results coming too slow. Like, have you ever been like, if you ever gone to the gym and it's like, you've been going and it's like, crap, I haven't lost any weight or my muscles are still the same size. It's like, you get frustrated, right? Things are moving too slow for the work that you're putting in. You have an expectation of how fast it should go. It's not meeting it. It's going too slow. You start getting frustrated. You start getting a little bit overwhelmed or the opposite. You start, things are moving too fast. Uh, this professor gives you an exam. This other one on the same, like it's like they got together to collude and decided to put all the papers, all the tests and all the projects do on the same two days. And you're like, I'm on, we have how many days in the school year? And you guys decided on the same two days that everything is going to be done on the same day. So now things are moving a little too fast. Can I cope? Can I, can I, can I actually succeed in this? So your body kind of goes into threat. And the third one, which is also part of the issue here is unclear intent. So I should know what I'm supposed to do, right? Isn't that why I'm here? Why don't I know? So now there's that crap. There's something wrong with me. And no, um, one of the biggest things that I find is that I see it a lot with college students. I see it a lot with adults that I, that I work with later on is this idea of trying to figure it out without trying stuff. When I was a kid, uh, my parents, my dad, specifically, uh, gave me chores that I had to do. One of them was taking out the trash. I hated taking out the trash. Why would I want to pick up something that's smelly? And But I had to do it every week, at least twice a week. And that process taught me, like, you know what? Taking out trash, not for me, 
right? You may say, well, obviously that one should have been out. Well, no, but it physically lets you experience it so that you know why you don't, okay? So that's one. Then the other thing I had to do was mow the lawn. I had to mow the lawn. And while I enjoyed being outside, it was hard work. I was like, damn, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. It was a skill set that I learned. And if I needed to, I could go mow lawns. There's nothing wrong with mowing lawns, but I realized, hey, that's not the, that's not the work I'm called to do. I feel like there's something more than just cutting mowing lawns for me. But it was an experience I had. My father has a construction company. So I'm here in Miami, Florida. And if you've never been here, during the summer, it's like 200 degrees and 200 uh, it's like the humidity is like hundred percent. So it's like ridiculously hot, humid, and then add on top of that mosquitoes. And if you go to work with my dad, you're up at the crack of, before the crack of dawn, because you got to be there by the crack of dawn. And man, I was like, there is no way that I really want to do this for the rest of my life. And he always told me, he's like, Hey, I'll give you the company. I was like, I have no desire to have this company. I can do it. I can go to a job site right now and be the foreman. I know I've done the work, but I realize that's not the work I'm called to do. I share that because if you don't know what to do, try things, try the anti things. The things that perhaps will, you, let, you know, like that's not what you want, but like dive into a little bit more. Feel the suck of that. Feel the, the resistance against that. And then ask yourself, okay, wait. What about this job, this experience? First of all, do I like, if anything? And then what don't I like? So don't just say, oh, I don't like that. Say, no, no, no. What about that don't I like? Because what that does is it helps bring more clarity and it helps you bring more direction to the things that perhaps you may like if you don't know what that is. And so if you find yourself feeling very unclear and you don't know what to do, start testing, experiment with things that you don't know you're look you're what in college you're yep. what 18 to 22 yep. 23 maybe yep. if you hang around a little bit more 24 <laughs> right um you still got you know what is the average is 80 that's only a quarter of your life right so you got three quarters of your life after that don't be in a hurry you got plenty of time does that yeah. make sense it, yeah it makes total sense i think that's really good advice um, and then on top of that, would you also suggest that college students kind of start fostering like really good habits? Um, I know you talk a lot about like simplicity and consistency with your habits. So would you think, is that like another part of this too? Yeah. Your habits will highly determine your life. Okay. Um, if you are not happy with your life, assess your habits. And most people accrue habits. They don't create them. And what I mean by that is they just kind of happen because it's the path of least resistance. So you go with the flow. And then before you know it, you're too stuck in that habit to move from there. So now it takes double the effort, triple the effort to break that habit and now create what we call, let's say, a good habit. And the truth is, it's less about good and bad, but it's like, okay, wait, are these habits serving me for the life that I want to create? And this is where that intentional, the, the intentional living comes into place. And, you know, if you're in college and your intention is uh, to party every weekend and that's it, that's the extent of it. Well, 
the habits that you need to build for that are not that difficult, right? Mm -hmm. But if you want something else, if you want something more, if you're listening to this, there's a good chance you're thinking beyond that. Not that you won't do that, but what I'm saying is that you're already having the conversation that I know that that's not going to be my off. So I got to start thinking about this in a different way. And if that's the case, then what's, what's the furthest I can see right now? Don't worry about figuring out the end of your life. Just what's the furthest you can see? It may be a month from now. It may be a year from now. It may be 10 years from now. Whatever it is, don't worry. If you can get to that point, you get to be in a different perspective. And then you can see. Yeah? Yep, yep. Um, so I think a lot of college students, at least when I'm here, I hear kids talking about like, oh, I'll just worry about this later or I have time and like, I don't need to be doing any of this or being healthy right now. And that's a pretty bad way to think. Um, do you have any thoughts on how we can start getting people to shift their mindsets on all this stuff and kind of head in this direction? Yeah, great question. Um, because I deal with the opposite fact, the opposite, or not the opposite, the, I end up dealing with when these same people are later on in their life and now they're struggling with that same exact thing that was not a big deal then. And it's a hard thing because, you know, there's a saying that says, uh, what is it? Youth is something that like youth, youth is wasted on the, on the young because obviously you don't know what you don't know yet. And I, I would encourage you to think about what, what can you leverage? What can you leverage? Um, partying every weekend and drinking every weekend, you can leverage so much. I mean, like, let's say you develop a high tolerance for alcohol, right? Again, I don't drink alcohol, not particularly because I feel like it's so healthy or unhealthy, but it's, it's a more of a personal thing that I want to be more in control. I have three kids and my wife. I don't want to be anywhere where if something were to happen, I can't protect them. I can't, I'm, I'm not of sound mind to be able to get them out wherever I need to be, right? I'm not living in the ghetto, but like, it's just, you never know what can happen, right? So I chose, this is a choice I made, right? But let's just say you build a high tolerance alcohol. Could you leverage that? Yeah, I'm sure you can. Some people could argue and say, well, yeah, you know, like if I ever, if I ever met the CEO of someone in, in a party and we start drinking and I, and I beat him, well, you know what? Maybe that forms a connection. Okay. Yeah. But on the big scheme of things, what are the likelihood of that going to happen versus, you know, what's something you can control right now that's going to have a positive impact in your life? Well, you know what? Maybe it's walking every day for 10 minutes. You know what? There's no side effect that is going to be bad on that. It's only going to be good. It's going to help you move. It's going to help you circulate blood. Is it going to make you lose a ton of weight? No, but you know what? It creates the space for you to build on it. And so one of the things I always like to say is, you mentioned it, was simplicity. And here's a, here's a rule that when you're creating habits, that if you, if, if you did nothing else but base the action you want to take off this rule, it's going to change everything, which is... What can you do even on your worst day? Okay. Now this becomes, a, this becomes important because think about when you're setting goals. 
when you're setting goals, you're usually not in a bad place. You're usually in a good place because you've now sat down, you've created some space and you're like, you know, what is it that I want to, to achieve, right? You're in a safe space. You're in a place where you want to move forward in life. So what happens when you plan for that, you think based off where you are right now, which is in a relatively good spot mentally. The problem is you're not going to stay there because life has other plans, right? So what happens when you have back-to-back finals um, and you get sick? Then what? Is this habit still sustainable, mm-hmm. right? So set up minimums that you can do even on your worst day so that success happens more consistently. And when success happens more consistently, you create, uh, you create momentum and that momentum creates the habit. Gotcha. Does, that, does that make sense? Yes. No, I mean, it makes perfect sense. Yes. It, it happened. Uh, do you mind if I share a quick story? Go for it. Yeah. So um, I ran my first 100 mile race uh, two years ago. Okay. Uh, people are like, what do you mean you ran 100 miles? Yeah, I ran 100 miles. Uh, people are like, oh, you must be gifted. You must, like, that seems otherworldly. It's like, no, what most people don't see is that four years before I ran that, I decided to make a shift. I was very inconsistent with my training. I was training, I was healthy, but I didn't like the consistency. I I trained once or twice this week, then I trained four times next week, then I trained once the next week, and it was like all over the place. And I said, no, I wanna see more consistency. So I said, I'm gonna do 10 minutes of movement for 30 days. What does that mean? That meant for me, I'm defining it, movement as going for a walk, stretching, going for a run, doing calisthenics, weightlifting, anything, a minimum of 10 minutes. And I did that for 30 days. And 30 days, I said, okay, let me see if I can keep it up. I did it for 60. I said, oh, how about 90? When I got to 90, I didn't miss a day, 10 minutes every day. When I got to 90, I said, I think I can do this for a year. I did that for a year. I ended up doing that for three years. Three years? No. Two and a half years without missing a day. And then I said to myself, what would happen if I applied that with running? I, at this point, I hadn't thought about going for a 100-mile run. I said, I'd be interested to see if I can run thirty day, for 30 days, 30 minutes every day. And then I was like, okay, great. I did it for 30 days. I did it for 60 days. And then I was like, huh, there may be something here. So after I did it for like 90 days, I said, what if I increased 15 minutes and I did the 15 minute increment for five weeks? How high could I get up to? Well, I did it all the way up to two hours. I, I built myself up where I ran five weeks, two hours every day. And then after that, I was like, I think I can run a hundred mile, right? Because at that point you start meeting other people that are running longer because you're out there for longer. And then it's like, oh, there's these 100 milers. Great. Let's give it a shot. I share that because I didn't start with, I'm going to run a 100 miler. I started three and a half, four years saying, I'm going to do 10 minutes. And that little habit created a space to piggyback that 30 minute. And that 30 minute piggybacked on increasing it. 
And by the time I got to two hours, I could piggyback the 100 miler on top of that. But it happened over the course of four years. I just turned 40 on Tuesday. Okay. So, you know, I've always said I'm going to live to 120. Obviously, I don't know that. But to me, I feel like it's only a third of my life. Mm -hmm. I have so much more in mind that I want to do. So much more that I know I have to contribute. And the cool thing is, I know that the next 40 years, I'm going to look at these 40 years. I'm going to be like, man, did I not know anything? Right? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know that answer your question. I think we kind of went off a little tangent, but, uh, but I thought that could be helpful. No. Yeah. That was fantastic. So, uh, in that little story, you kind of mentioned you had a few like shifts that happened, like mindset shifts. Um, and I think oftentimes, um, those shifts for most people don't occur unless there's like some big trauma. Um, I didn't really get into all this stuff until it was like four years ago. I was 45 pounds overweight. I had depression. I had these chronic allergies and that's what kind of pushed me into this health space mm -hmm. and just changing my whole lifestyle. Um, so can you like speak a little bit about that? Do you think that people like, is it okay that we're waiting until like it's too late to kind of fix things? Or is there so, a better way to go about that? <laughs> again, oftentimes it's, it's hard. The problem with, with prevention is you don't feel it until it's too late. Correct. And so if you understand what motivates the brain is that it needs the immediate, you know, the Pavlov's dog is like, oh, bell, food, bell, food. The problem is that in this case, it's bad food, bad drink, bad sleep habits. You don't feel it. You feel great. You feel indestructible when you're in your 20s. But then when you're in your 40s and 50s, that's when you start feeling it. At that point, it's too late. Like, I can't tell you, uh, hey, but yeah, in your 40s and 50s, you'll feel this because right now you feel invincible. That doesn't make any sense. So I, I, I think surrounding yourself in, in, in environments where there are other people that perhaps are doing similar things or things that inspire you is probably more important than trying to get people to say, oh, you got to be healthy. I think that is a losing battle and say, oh, you got to be healthy. First of all, it's a very ambiguous term. You know, I give a definition and everyone you've asked gives a different definition, right? So, and everyone has a different definition of it. And that's part of the issue. So if you got to be more healthy, well, like, okay, yeah, but I feel fine right now. So why can't I keep doing the thing that immediately feels good? Well, because there's a consequence to it. And the problem is that you don't get, you don't have at that point the wisdom of knowing the real impact that it's going to cause. Because again, you feel good. You feel fine. There's nothing wrong with you. You can do it. And that's the problem. It, it's not that you can't do it is that your body is so able and it allows you to do it that by the time you've realized that it and now is, is too late. And so um, remind me your question again. I kind of jumped off there. I mean, no, you, I just wanted to hear your thoughts on all that stuff. So I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there. So that was okay. fun. Um, I kind of want to jump back to legacies now. 
So in the book, you talk about these different types of legacies. Can you speak a little more on that? There, in the book, I, I have two legacies. There are two types of legacies. There's personal legacy and impact legacy. At this point, everybody knows who Steve Jobs is, right? I mean, you're probably on an iPhone right now, or you have a Mac, or you've been impacted in some way, shape, or form by some of his products. And he's a perfect example of somebody who created a powerful impact legacy because we talk about him, we, we use his technology, his vision for that technology, right? By the way, he never built it. He never built it. He was a visionary and he got other people to build it for him. And then he was the storyteller to bring it to life, right? It's the, if you've never seen it, it's a great, great, uh, when he first brought out the, the iPhone, it's a master, it's a master course in sales and storytelling. If you've ever seen, look it up, the Steve Jobs, uh, I forgot what they call them, the, the, whatever, the Apple unveilings or whatever they're called. Gotcha. Um, but when he did the iPhone, it was, it was masterful because of the way he spoke about it and how he got people engaged. The issue is, is that he did that and he jumped the personal legacy. And the personal legacy is essentially impacting the core group of people that matter most, your family, your close friends, your close acquaintances. So if you think of that ripple idea that, right, the first ripple that comes out are, are that core group of people. As the ripples get further and further, those are the other people, like each people further and further and further away from you, right? But the core group of people. The family, you know, if you're married and you have kids, I know everyone, you know, your, your, your audience is, is college kids, but think about it. If you have, if you're in college, you have to be born. So you have some, most people have parents that are still alive, right? So, you know, your parents, if you have siblings, if you have a significant other, like the people that are most important to your life, if you fail them, you fail because you don't build a proper foundation. And so if you jump the gun to try to help everyone else except the people that matter most to you, that seems counterintuitive. It seems it, it, it leads to a lot of unfulfillment. And if you look at the life of Steve Jobs at the end, when he's dying of cancer, is when he realizes his mistake. He actually said, is like, I should have focused more on my family. I should have been nicer to people. I mean, most people describe him as a jerk. The people that work with him, the people that created the stuff that he was selling that created the impact said that he was a jerk. They said he was brilliant. They could see that. Mm -hmm. But his interaction with people, the way he made them feel was not that they can conquer the world, but the, the fact that they were idiots. You understand? To yeah. me, th that's not a way to live. and so. The, what, what I'm urging people to do is to look at both of them. They're both important, but don't neglect the personal legacy by chasing just the impact legacy. If you, if you build a strong personal legacy, not only will you be more fulfilled, you're, you're going to have a, a tribe of people fighting for your success to create that impact legacy. Mm -hmm. 
when I when I wrote my book, when I wrote my book, it became a bestseller before the book came out. The book, the, the it got pre-released the week before Christmas. I didn't plan that well. Uh, it got released the week before Christmas, and three days later it was a bestseller. Now you're like, oh wow, congratulations! You must have had a great publicist. No, I did that all grassroots. Number one, I have a big family. That's great. But number two, I interviewed 150 people just for context when I did that book. So I had them. Then I was reaching out to people personally that I knew on Facebook and sharing my mission, my, my vision, my, my mission, and telling them about the book and getting them excited and then building a community. I built a whole group of uh, a team, a launch team, just off personal connections and saying, hey, guys, having deeper conversations, tell me what this means to you wow. without asking anything of return other than, hey, guys, would you mind if I share this with you once it comes out and would you be willing to, to buy the book? Mm -hmm. And everyone was like, yeah. And I gave them the book for free, but they still went out and bought one, two, three, four, some people bought 10 copies, right? And so within three days, two, no, two days, I had a bestseller. And the book didn't come out. So that was the 18th. It came out of de December. And the book didn't come out until January 15th. So all these people bought books that they weren't getting for a month. And it was because of that connection that there was something deeper. And to me, that was very fulfilling. That I had that connection with people and they had that support. Gotcha. Um, I'm just curious. So... You know, a big part of our health kind of happens like in between our two ears. It's in our brain. Um, do you think that not striving to create a legacy kind of drains our health? I'm kind of thinking in terms of like less energy and like your happiness is kind of drooping or what are your thoughts on that? Great question because I, in, you know, I just, I, I just shared that I interviewed a hundred and it was, a, I, I wrote the book specifically for men. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, the principles work for everyone. In fact, half the readers were women and they were like, hey, but this works for women. And I was like, yeah, but I spe I specified for men because sometimes men need a little bit more kick in the butt, letting them know that, yeah, I'm talking to you. Whereas women were like, yeah, that works for me too, right? So I didn't want there to be any doubt. Um, but I interviewed 152, 153 men and what I realized is college students thought less about legacy mm -hmm. versus uh, married men, fathers thought more about legacy. Um, they were the group that th th thought about legacy the most. Married men uh, that were fathers thought most about legacy. The other group, whether married, single or not, were people who believed in in God, something greater than themselves. If they had some kind of religious belief that they weren't the center of the universe, that there was something greater than themselves, they tended to think about legacy and something greater than themselves. It, it was just a context thing. Right. When I interviewed college students, number one, this is a stage in your life. So this isn't a judgment. This is like I realized Many of the college students weren't thinking of legacy the same way the other guys were, but the other guys had 20 some years on them. So 
right? There were different stages. There were dependents now. They had people that, that if they didn't bring home, you know, the money, they weren't getting fed, right? Whereas as a college student, like, Ben, if I was single and I didn't have kids, the risks that I would take and the things that I would do would be completely different and honor that. Like, now's the time. Do crazy things that when you're married and you have kids, you may not be able to. Not because your wife says you can't do that, but there is a certain responsibility that you have to be there. There is a certain responsibility to provide. And if you do something that you kill yourself, well, you just left an entire family behind. That's not very, that's not, that's not cool. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, I mean, there are accidents that happen, but like, I mean, if you're going into a hairy situation on purpose, then you need to understand that there's an impact to that. Uh, you know, I, I've recently started sharing this, but before I was married, I can honestly say that there are not too many people that have ever uh, made a uh, death video. And what I mean by that was, I thought I was genuinely going to die. I was in the in the in the mountains. I had run out of water. I had run out of food. I didn't have clothes. I was almost at 14,000 feet of altitude and I genuinely thought I was going to die. So I said, you know what? I had a camera. I'm going to make a video for my family. If they find my body, they at least can give this to them. Right. Which is freaky. I don't know where that video is. I'm, I have no clue where it is, but I'm dying to see it. But I, I remember making it and it obviously turned out fine. I made it to where I needed to get to. I'm here. but in that moment, like, do I put myself in that kind of a predicament now that I'm married with kids? Maybe I have a better idea of what can put me there. I still do adventurous things. I mean, I still run a hundred miles. I still go camping by myself. I still do, I, I still go surfing. I still do you know, I've gone surfing in a hurricane. I've gone rollerblading in a hurricane. You know, I've done different things, but my ability to assess danger has shifted. And I'm like, okay, wait, this danger, the repercussions of it, I'm willing to accept for myself and for my family. This one, no, I'm not. Not right now, right? Same thing with money. If I didn't have a family and kids, I would live in a, I would live in a van and double down like and if i lost it all i'd be like okay i can live in a tent for a bit until i recover i can't do that to my to my kids and my wife Mm -hmm. like i mean i could i don't think it'll be responsible right or let me phrase that i don't want to do that to them i don't want to put them in that kind of a predicament and we love camping like the kids would think probably it'd be an awesome thing oh we're camping every day but i know the difference between camping every day and that's your only option. Gotcha. Yeah, I think that's that's a really good answer. A lot of us just don't even want to go out of our comfort zones, really. And now is, especially for college students, now is the perfect time to do that. Um, so By I know- way, that that's trained. You can train that. You can okay. train that. Uh, can, can I can I share? Because yeah, I, I, I want to. Because people talk about get out of your comfort zone. I mean. If you look at any Instagram posts, like, oh, get out of your comfort zone. Well, what the heck does that mean? For most people, 
when they see that, they're like, they can acknowledge, you're like, yeah, I want to get there. But when it comes to it, I would rather be sitting down watching Netflix on my couch than running out in the, in the snow or the rain. Like there's a big difference. One requires work and discomfort. The other one is very little resistance. Okay. So where does the value come in that? Where does the value come in doing the uncomfortable things? And how do you train that? Well, most people think of the really extreme thing, the really hard thing. And that's great, except that's not sustainable. If you're going to go and do a workout and somebody says, oh, train out of your comfort zone. What does that mean? Go balls to the wall and you should be finishing throwing up. Okay, great. You got inspired one day, you did it. Wonderful. But you're not going to do it again the next day. If you did, maybe you do it for two days, maybe three days if you were a glutton for punishment, right? But you're not going to do it for a week, two weeks, three weeks, because it doesn't make sense. You're going to destroy your body. You're not going to recover. And you're going to be miserable. That's not what it means to get out of your comfort zone. Get out of your comfort zone is on the day-to-day -day things. Do the little things, okay? Um, you want to train yourself to be a little bit more uncomfortable? Brush your teeth today with your left hand if you're righty. Okay, all of a sudden, something simple, you're like, oh crap, this takes more work. You're gonna find, if you've ever tried it, that you'll start like this and you'll end up moving your head instead of your hand. If you've never tried it, try it today and you're gonna see, you're gonna remember this, that you're gonna start trying to do it with your hand and when that fails, you're gonna start moving your head around the brush instead of the other way, okay? That's something very simple. Uh, food, okay? You want something a little bit more uncomfortable? Oh, I have to have six meals a day because that's what I've been hearing for the, you know, everything uh, for, for my entire life. Oh, if you want to be healthy, if you want to lose weight, you got to eat six meals a day or eight meals or 10 meals or however little meals. Okay, great. What if I told you, you can't eat food until lunch. You can't drink anything except water until lunch. Okay, well, that's going to be a little bit difficult because I may get a headache. I may feel like a little weak. It's, a, it's an easy way of training a little bit of discomfort. You want something now, but you're pushing it away and saying, you know what? I'm going to hold off on that. Everybody asks, oh, you want dessert? No, you know what? I do want it, but I'm going to say no today. I'm going to have that desire. I'm going to probably be thinking about it, but it's made you a little bit stronger just by saying no today. Mm -hmm. And so if you start implementing these opportunities to say no, to get a little bit uncomfortable, to wake up a little bit earlier, or to go to sleep a little bit earlier. It's probably harder <laughs> for college students, right? Say, hey, I'm gonna go get to bed at 10. And then you're gonna be there and you're gonna be like, oh, that sucks, I could be doing a million other things because I'm obviously not sleeping. Mm -hmm. But it's like, okay, wait, yeah, I'm sacrificing something. So if you want to grow, you have to be willing to suffer a little bit. Mm -hmm. Suffering brings out growth not misery suffering just a little suffering a little bit of resistance the same way like if you're lifting if you're lifting what happens you put weight as resistance and as you adapt to it you add a little bit more resistance and you get stronger and stronger think of this the same way add little habits where you're like making decisions to empower yourself to get a little stronger and then grow from there so you practice being uncomfortable and then do fun things that make you uncomfortable. If you like hiking, I go, I love ha hiking and camping, but I never sleep well. So I put myself through 
misery because I know I'm going to, I'm not going to sleep well, but being in nature is worth it to me and enjoying it. So I put myself through two or three nights of not sleeping well when I could sleep amazing in my bed, uh, but it makes me stronger. It makes me a little bit more weathered to overcome the storms of life. A really good answer. Thank you for expanding on that. Um, so as we kind of get low on time here, do you want to tell everyone where they can connect with you um, and where they can find your book? Sure. Uh, I would say legacycodebook.com is where you can find the book. I mean, you go to Amazon and get it, but if you want to, if you want to know a little bit more about the book, there's a synopsis. Uh, we talked about it here. One of the things that I've done for the book is created a virtual uh, book tour. And within that, it's all the podcasts I've done about the book. And it's great because like we had a very different conversation. I've done almost, uh, almost 50, 50 podcasts and I put them all up there with, with the book being in the background. Some people ask very different things. And so if you want to get a, an experience of the book, you can listen to it, especially if you're an audio, I haven't made the audio book. It's on my list of things to do. So there's no audio version. But there is the digital version, like the Kindle version, and uh, the paperback version. And uh, so you can find it on Amazon, but Legacy Code Book is where the housing for that is. The other place you can find me is ArmandoCruz.com, my name. And then you can find me on social media. I'm on Instagram, I'm on LinkedIn, I am on uh, Facebook. So um, just look at, I guess you can find it there. Yeah, I'll, that's perfect. And I'll include all of your links and everything in the show notes as well. Um, so there's just one more thing I want to ask. And that's if you could give one piece of like actionable advice for everyone listening, whether it's like has to do with building your legacy or improving your health or anything that you want, what would it be? So most of the people, like you said, that are listening to this are in college, right? I mean, that's, that's the, the, the demographic. So if you're in college, um, here's what I would say. Number one, enjoy it. Okay? Enjoy college. You're in a unique bubble in college where you get to experiment a lot of stuff. You get to live a life of, that is so far removed from, from regular, from, let's call it the real world. But it's a, it's a blessing. Like, don't, there's not a judgment. It's a blessing. Take advantage of that because there's so much you can learn from that, from this college experience. This is a wonderful time for you to experiment with different, different things that make you tick. Try the things that are hard. Try out for intramural sports, for if there's uh, volunteer work, if there are mission trips, if there are all those things that you're like, I don't know if I really want to do that. Do that because it's going to teach you a lot about yourself. And when you come out of college, it's going to help you make better decisions. And I can guarantee you that all those opportunities that you said yes to right now, when you go out into the real world, let's call it, in the workforce, the career force, right? Because there's a group of you that are working full-time as well or part-time. So it's not, I'm not saying you're not working. I'm saying like career in the career world, 
you're going to find that these experiences, these stories that have really made up your life are really what is going to intrigue people. When I was, when I finished my undergrad, I got declined. Originally, I was going to do my master's in exercise physiology, and I got declined from, from UNC Chapel Hill. I was devastated because in my mind, I had this whole vision. I graduated college in three years. I was like, I was, I was on a roll. Like I was like, I was in a hurry and I got declined. And I was like, I have great grades. I have great recommendations. I have great everything. Why did it decline me? They ended up declining me because it was a mix up because I called and I found out. And that, to me, that just completely shattered my idea of how the world was supposed to be. Because my belief was if you worked hard, you would get what you're supposed to get. And I had worked my butt off for this. And here I was not getting into where I wanted to uh, because of a misunderstanding. I couldn't comprehend that. And so I went with a buddy of mine who I ran cross country and track. And we went around what we called the Western Exploration. We ran around for three months running the national parks and seeing the world. We went on a huge road trip. We lived out of my car, out of a tent uh, for three months, running the national park. We would run every day at least once for about an hour to 90 minutes. Some days we would run twice a day. But when we got to Colorado, um, Colorado was the first place we actually started. But when we got to Boulder, we met, we were out in a bar. You know, this is post-college, so I'm what, 20, I'm 21, 22. I, we go to a bar, we, we drive into town, we were in a bar, we meet the CEO of Merrill Lynch at this bar. We're talking to them. The guy has more money than he can ever need. And we have the conversation. We tell him about our story, where, like what we're doing, that we're traveling around the U.S. for three months, running the national parks, living out of our car. And he said to us, I never forget this. He goes, he goes, guys, enjoy it. He goes, I have more money than I know what to do with that. I could pay for this entire trip hundreds of times over He goes, what I don't have is time. I could never take three months out of my, my, my year to do what you're doing. He goes, yes, money is great, but the freedom that you have and the experiences that you're going to have, remember them. They're going to be more valuable than anything else. And I remember that because here was a guy by all practical means, extremely successful. Yet the thing that we attribute his success was the same thing that was imprisoning him. And here were two guys out of college that really had no money. And we were free. We were free to really explore and experience the world. And I learned so much from that. That's why I say, if I had to give some advice, travel, do mission work, do volunteer work, do experiences. Don't consume things. Things come and go. Experiences live with you forever. Wow. That was very, very powerful. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for being on here. It was an absolute pleasure getting to talk to you today. Yeah, same here. Thank you for having me, man. It was a, it was a pleasure.